0: Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ift-Ducker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by guest MJ Bradley Lestrange to talk about Tamora Pierce's The Song of the Lioness Quartet. So MJ, Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. You want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you wanted to talk about these books?
1: Yeah, sure. I am a podcaster, writer, a maker of sorts, um, Tinker Tailor Spy. (laughs) <laughs> I host a show called Reignite, which is a deep dive podcast into the Mass Effect series of video yeah. games. I do a Tamra Pierce podcast called Circle of Friendship, where mm-hmm. we talk specifically about the Circle of Magic books, which takes place in a kind of different time period of medieval history. It's it's different. It's a completely different take on magic as well. Mm -hmm. And my third one is the Rob Thomas No Not That One Robcast, which is about the creative works of Rob Thomas. And I know what you're thinking. It's not that one. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason why I wanted to talk about these books in particular is because I actually didn't discover Tamara Pierce until I was in my late teens. And ever Mm -hmm. since I did, I devoured everything that she wrote. And everything that she wrote had a lesson that I needed to learn. Mm -hmm. Every heroine, every character, reading her books made me a better person. And over time, you can see that she becomes a better person from her first book to her most recent. Absolutely. So I think that's a really important lesson to take away from her.
0: Yeah. So I don't actually normally do this, but for this in particular, I'm going to start off also by saying something about my relationship with these books, because it is a very intense one. I first started reading these books when I was nine years old. And somebody in my elementary school class, I had this, I was at this Montessori school where we were mixed uh, fourth to sixth grade together. And there was actually a sixth-grade boy who gave the report, who gave the his book report about this, and he then also said that he thought that it was too advanced for a fourth grader, and that only the fifth, the, maybe the fifth graders, but then the sixth graders should really be reading it. So I took this immediately as a challenge, yeah, and obvious, the next right? time I was at the exactly, and the next time as I was at the library, got these books and uh, completely devoured them, and was obsessed with them for the entirety of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> And like, I wanted to be Alana. I am pretty sure that like I my, my like thing that I really wanted to have red hair, which I do not have red hair and should not with my complexion have red hair. <laughs> I think that desire started because of these books. Uh, purple was actually already happened to be my favorite color. But I also think this book might be why I hate the color orange.
1: Ooh, fair, yeah. <laughs> that's solid.
0: <laughs> so like pre-teen me had this like very intense emotional connection with Alana and with these books.
1: For me, a very funny thing is that the first Tamra Pierce book that I read was actually Cold Fire, which is the third book in the second quartet of the Circle of Magic series. <laughs> and the first Tortal book I read was Trickster's Choice, which Takes place like three series after Alana begins. Like it's about Alana's right, children.
0: yeah. Um, and I actually haven't read that one because so I read and was very into both uh, this quartet and the Wild Magic Quartet. Mm-hmm. And then by the time some of her other things started to come out, I was in that stage where I was very insistent that I was too old for anything that could be cast as being like YA or for like or like for like four kids. Potentially. And, uh, you know, in that like early teen stage that some people, or I at least, have of being like, I am too old and advanced and fancy <laughs> for this. And I only read literature. Uh, and like, I read books for grownups. And uh, so I missed out on a lot of her subsequent series, but I am uh, looking forward to getting the chance to read them
1: now because yes. I now realize that was a dumb stage to be in. <laughs> yeah, because then you realize that books for grownups are just really pretentious after a while. Like some of them are good, but then yeah. some of them are just like, I wrote this for clout and only clout and you can tell.
0: And also that the intended audience of a book doesn't actually have anything to do with its quality to some right. extent, that there are amazing books that are, you know, written with an eye toward a younger audience. And that doesn't mean that they don't have anything to say to people who are adults. Yeah. Like, for
1: example, I think the Becca Cooper books are some of her best writing in the Mm Tortal universe. They take place actually 100 years before Alana. You could read them without having read any of Alana's books. They're about a completely different character and a very different take on fantasy. Usually when Mm -hmm. you read fantasy or you engage in it, you're thinking at the greater level of kings and queens and princesses and knights, whereas the Becca Cooper books are down in the street yeah and like the regular people yeah so that's why i really like the becca cooper books
0: i'm excited to. Show it. so i guess that must be like george's ancestress yes yeah
1: there is a connection to george but you don't really it doesn't really come into play until the very end of the series you get this hint of like uh-huh. yes i acknowledge that cooper is the same name as george like <laughs> yes you can stop bothering me about it yes they're really <laughs>
0: And it's the kind of thing that I would just assume because I would assume she wouldn't make that choice without that being at least the kind of vague background assumption, but that that also doesn't necessarily mean it matters because she obviously
1: doesn't know that she's going to have a, like, great-great-grandson or whatever named George. Right. Who meets... A young girl pretending to be a boy. Yes. To bring it right back around to Alana.
0: Yes. So this is the Song of the Lioness Quartet by Tamora Pierce, which was uh, published in four books between 1983 and 1988. So that's Alana, the First Adventure, In the Hand of the Goddess, The Woman Who Rides Like a Man, and Lioness Rampant. And there, I'll just say throughout, I'll just say right, right at the outset that I'm planning on there being just spoilers for the entire series. So if you have not yet read uh, this series and would like to do so unspoiled, uh, then maybe pause this and save it for after you have read all four books, which honestly does not actually
1: take that long. Yeah, it's a quick read. You'll be (laughs) fine. Just get them from the library. You'll listen to this tomorrow. It'll be okay. (laughs) I think I read like one a day, basically. Yeah. Yeah, they're that fast. Like I burned through all of Alana and Wild Magic very, very quickly. And then Protector of the Small took a little longer because that's much later in the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. Because at the time that Alana came out, young adult wasn't really a thing. This was the early to late 80s. The story that she wanted to tell was actually more rife with drug abuse and alcoholism Mm -hmm. and violence, and it was much more adult. And then when she started working in a group home to take care of young women, she started mm-hmm. telling them the story and had to tone it down so it could uh-huh. be appropriate for young women. And then that's huh. when she started thinking about making it for children. That's fascinating. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I actually read yeah. the afterward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: not a hundred percent sure my edition has the has the afterward because I have. You might have the I early mean,
1: editions, yeah.
0: Yeah, because uh, so they the ones that are out now. Definitely have different covers. I noticed when I happened to be looking around online. So the ones that I have would have been whatever was, I think I did buy them new, but they would have been whatever was in print in 1996, Mm -hmm. so relatively shortly
1: after publication. Yeah, the editions that I have came out in like, I want to say the late 2000s.
0: Yeah, so, uh, so I think I don't even have that afterward.
1: Yeah. And she talks about her journey and getting them published and how she brought them to a publisher whose name escapes me right now and told her the story. And the publisher said, like, make these changes and I'll pick it up. And that was it. And that's how Alana came into existence. Like originally huh. Tom was supposed to have this queer power imbalance between him and Roger. There Ooh, was Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Not sure in a good way, but it's interesting.
1: So like there was supposed to be a whole lot more to it, and because yeah. so much got cut, Tamara Pierce actually like didn't like looking back at Alana for a long time. Huh. It's
0: interesting to th- to think about how authors experience their own books and how. I mean, it's very different from how I experience these books, right. obviously. So so the first main section is the enumeratio, where uh, we just kind of go through and spend some time chatting about these books. And I'm going to start with a very brief recap of basically just kind of the premise that will kind of orient us. And then we'll have just more of a general discussion. So Alana of Trebon disguises herself as a boy so she can become a knight, switching places with her brother Tom so that he can then go and study magic. The series follows Alana as she eventually wins her shield and reveals her true identity, forms close ties with friends and lovers. There was nine-year-old me. It was very like, wow, there's a lot of sex in this. Adult me is like, there's not that much
1: sex. No, there's not that much. It's like a reasonable amount. Yeah. It's like three lovers over the course of your entire life. That That's rather small. It's
0: rather small, yeah. And also, like, it is not graphic. It's, it's not like,
1: much- yeah.
0: Um... But yes, it seemed like very adult to me when I was nine. Right. Uh, and she also makes an enemy Duke Roger cousin to the prince.
1: Ugh, Duke Roger.
0: I have such a, like, intense negative reaction to Duke
1: Roger. He's the worst! He's so He's awful! He's the absolute
0: worst. And uh, there's something just, like, in particular creepy and that I kind of like about the fact that like he's so charming and he's so good looking and he's so likable
1: but also he's the worst. Yeah like the thing about Duke Roger is I want to say we all know someone like him. Oh yeah. At a local level or even at a greater political level there are Uh these people who are charming and handsome and funny but they have these ulterior motives that exist to hurt innocent people. And you can just right. tell by looking at them. Like, I've had people in my social circle where I'm like, I should like you. I don't. <laughs> don't know why, but I don't.
0: Yeah. And I really like how when she when he's introduced, that's just her first reaction is everybody likes him. Why am I just like
1: really turned off by this person Mm -hmm. alana taught me to trust my gut the gut is never wrong yeah i have never been led astray (laughs) yeah and she really
0: i like in general that she's a character who in a lot of ways has a very immense amount of like a, a lot of trust in herself yeah including at the very beginning that she's basically just like i want to do this i want to be a knight and i think i can do this and i think i can do a good job at it and so i'm just gonna make it happen yeah and
1: she's not instantly good at everything which also makes yes. her a great character. We were talking on a different podcast about Alana being a kind of Mary Sue and she's really not. No. Like her appearance I guess can make her seem like one because you know she has the brilliant red hair and the purple eyes. Mhm. But she's not instantly good at anything. Anything that she's already good at, yeah. she's then told like, "All right, you're passable." And she's just right. like, uh, "Excuse me?" <laughs> Yeah, and she eventually is like,
0: she is really good at a lot of things, but it's like, but we see all of the work that she puts in
1: to make that happen. Right. She gets up early. She stays up late. She practices with weapons that are heavier than her normal weapons. Yeah. She like finds exercises that she can do. She learns different fighting styles from anyone she can really meet and introduce herself to. She learns how to fight from George Cooper, who is king of the rogues. She learns how to do the noble arts of fighting. She is so focused on being the best in learning that she actually does the work to do it. Yeah, which I think
0: is also a really good lesson. That is if there's something you really want to do, you just you just really have to put in the work. Yeah. It's a lesson that's just as applicable in academia
1: as it is tonight. (laughs) That's why I'm a rogue academic. I looked at the great <laughs> expanse of academia before me and said, you know what? I'm just, I'm I'm going to leave and I'm going to do this at my own pace. <laughs> and I don't care about the grade.
0: I mean, definitely understandable. Uh,
1: but I just, I don't know. Like
0: I think about like when I first, like the documents that I read for my job, the first time I looked at them, I cried and thought that I was never going to be able to read them because they are in... Latin, which actually was fine, because I put the work in on learning Latin, but the script is atrocious. Oh, no. Because it's this scrawl that people wrote in that they only intended for themselves to be able to read. And I was like, I'm never going to be able to read this. It's just never going to happen. I am going to, like, fail and not actually be able to, like, write this thesis that I committed to write and got a grant to, like, go to Spain to work on. But I kept doing, I kept working at it, and I figured it out. Yes. And now I... Do this stuff all the time. Yes. And have a job.
1: I feel bad. If anybody ever has to like excavate my journals, you will not understand a damn thing I wrote. <laughs> I am so sorry. I should write like more clearly in case anybody ever has to read what I write.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Be nice to the future historians.
1: <laughs> oh my husband would appreciate that, yes. <laughs>
0: So we meet a lot of the major characters already in the first book. Yeah. So we meet we meet George Cooper, the the head of the ro- the king of the rogue. I love a
1: rogue. I love George I Cooper love so much. George I know that so much. twenty thirty years later, he is more problematic.
0: Yes. The you know so this is eventually going to become a big love interest for Alana.
1: He's seventeen I... when she's ten. <laughs>
0: yeah and so the first time that they have a kiss then has to be she's what like 14 or 15 yeah 15 16 i would say 15 yeah and he's then 22 23
1: yep that's that hasn't aged well nope that's that's kind of creepy he's a product of the early 80s (laughs) yes which is not an excuse Yeah.
0: And, you know, at the time, I thought this was, like, very sexy and totally fine. Right. But also, I was a child. And reading this now as an adult, I'm like, oh, no,
1: that's not good. It's not yeah. right. The more you read Tamara Pierce, the more you uh, pick up on, like, her type, which is very much an older man. <laughs> Right,
0: because I mean, all of her love interests are older. Because uh, so Prince Jonathan, also who we meet in this book and who she becomes friends with and will you know also have a relationship with, he's what
1: three years older than her, four years older than yeah, her? three years older, I think. Yeah, because I think he is not quite a senior page when Alana first becomes a page. He's either in his right. I think he's in his third year, maybe. I don't remember. Yeah, it and has then been by two the
0: weeks. <laughs> right, and then by the end. Uh, He's becoming a, she's becoming a squire, and he's becoming a knight because right. so there's like a solid four years. She becomes between them. a squire, yeah, Which yeah. Which is
1: such a weird take on the knight squire practice. I feel like if you are a newly minted knight, you should not get a squire. <laughs> Right? (laughs) That's the last thing you need, sir. (laughs) Right? Like, especially because, I mean, so we'll
0: talk in our next episode about Protector of the Small, but in that you really see a sense of uh, being a squire as this process by which you're really training and like the knight, your knight master is training you. Jonathan can't train her. He's barely better at
1: things than she is. And I think he gets this privilege mainly because like there's not this huge threat of war going on in Tortall. Right. So like the concept of becoming a knight is less about training and becoming a master of the fighting arts. And it's more about, like, society and social status and filling out the court, whatever. I'm just like, "Mm, that's not what Alana wants. Alana wants to go punch evil right in the face.
0: Yes, which (laughs) she she will get to do, which is awesome. (laughs) And, like, I will say, like, the stakes of these books are, in a lot of ways, like, very high. Mm. Like, at the end of the book, it ends with, so Roger uses this, like, magic jewel to mystically convince Jonathan, to that he has to go, like, fight these, like, centuries-old
1: evil monsters. Like, basically sends him to his death and just, like, it'll be fine. Right. And Jonathan's just, like, oh, he sent me because he knows I can do it. It's, like, dude, really? Like, I know you're not the smartest, Jonathan.
0: (laughs) But come on. So, I will say that does get explained by the next book uh, because you, so, you know, so Roger, at first, it's just this vague distrust. He gets revealed as actually officially being evil. And part of this revelation is when Alana is in the chamber of the ordeal and she, like, rips her way through this veil thing. Mm -hmm. and it turns out that there's like little when she goes to his chamber she finds out that there's like little like figurines of her and of jonathan and the king and queen and like everybody who's a big deal at court basically all like wrapped up into like a mesh bag essentially right (laughs) and that this is like hiding their view of how roger sucks
1: the Chamber of the Ordeal is a really interesting thing. You don't really know a whole lot about it. We learn a little bit more in Protector of the Small, but in Alana's books, it's just this this room where something happens that transforms you from a squire to a knight. Nobody talks about it. Nobody's allowed to mm-hmm. talk about it. If you talk about it, it's like very frowned upon. How dare you?
0: Yeah. But so what we get from Alana is that it's essentially it's about facing your fears right. is the the kind of main thing is that you have to grapple with the things that you are most afraid of and show that you're able to overcome
1: that. Right. And for Alana and for Kel, the chamber gives them both a little bonus. Yes, which is interesting. It shows them both like, here's a thing that you need to fix. Go have fun. Yes. Which is interesting because
0: of course they're not allowed to talk about what happens in the chamber of the ordeal but so you kind of have to wonder like are they the only ones who have gotten this or exactly. are there other people who have gotten something and we just don't get to see it because they're not allowed to talk about it and if so like what were their things like what did like Raoul of Golden Lake get like tasked with by the chamber that we just never know about? Quitting
1: alcohol. <laughs> oh poor Raoul. <laughs> Poor Raul. I love him so much. I know. He's so great. All of the nights that Alana becomes friends with, like, Jonathan, Raul, Gary, not Alex. Fuck Alex. Well, yeah, I mean, because Alex becomes Duke Roger Squire, so he becomes fucking terrible. Alex of Tyrion, who I never understand his deal. I, I just Like, never especially understand. at the end, I, you know, so we're, like, jumping
0: around, but at the end, and they, like, have this big fight, and uh, it's, like, her last, like, big fight before she has to go and face Duke Roger, basically, is With is this like combat with Alex and it's like kind of I think implied that he just like wants to like be the best and just like beat her because like he's afraid that she's better than he is and it's like really you're going to betray the crown for for that
1: that feels like such a flex like those are very low stakes for you it feels like it feels like a very like low bar to commit treason I agree. <laughs> I don't understand. And I think that one of the failings of having to to cut any mention of LGBT relationships is mm-hmm. I think that there was that kind of power imbalance between Alex and Roger.
0: Yeah. And I will say, I thinking about that now, I have really mixed feelings because on the one hand... I absolutely see how that could have explained things. On the other hand, I think it would have had to be handled very carefully, particularly because there are not a lot of queer characters. No, in I fact, completely there aren't agree. really any. And so if your only queer characters are these like this like villain who then is grooming young men.
1: No, I completely to be agree. evil. <laughs> this is in a world where we can rewrite a lot of everyone is queer. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, if there was like a bunch of queer characters, then I think it would be totally fine. Like, look but... at Raul's
1: obsession with protecting Alan. Yes. <laughs> Raul is bi. You cannot tell me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and especially when we get to Protector of the Small, like, I am definitely convinced of that. <laughs> like, and also, I love Raul. I love him. He's so good. But, like, it definitely would have been a problem if the only queer character was Roger grooming young men yeah. and destroying them as a result. And, like, Tom being manipulated by Roger as well. Yeah. Poor Tom. Poor Tom.
0: I feel so bad for Tom. I really, like, I remember being surprised that that was, like, not where I thought Tom was going. Because at first just was like, oh, that's nice. He wants to learn how to do magic. And so he, like, he doesn't have to disguise himself as a girl because you basically, like, you start out, like, the girls who are being trained to be ladies and the boys who are going to learn magic start out by going to the same place and so he only has to disguise himself for like half an hour basically.
1: Yeah and he can be like open about himself and make friends and not have to worry about lying to Avi. except what does he do? (laughs)
0: He just lies to everybody and like pretends he's an idiot and is bad at magic and then is like surprise bitches and then he's like everybody hates me. I guess they're just jealous. I'm like maybe because you lied to them for like a decade
1: and you show no regard for like their experiments or like their feelings or anything. You just do whatever (laughs) you want, right? And it's like how how did you become like a sociopath? He's so entitled, and I think it's because Alana was not there to punch him every once in a while. Right. And like there was nobody there to do that. And I think there is
0: actually an interesting bit where George is looking at him and is like, oof, that might have been what have happened to what would have happened to Alana if she hadn't had any friends. Yeah. And it's very and it's true. Like, yeah that and it's interesting to think about that for Alana that like does she in terms of like her stubbornness and her desire to like be better and do better like does she have that in her and could she have turned out like that if she doesn't have friends and I I think that is a kind of interesting angle
1: I think if she would felt as isolated as Tom did it would have been a possibility but she had Coram with her the entire time Mm -hmm. that's true who like believed in her and knew that she was going to do it no matter what even if it took him like a minute to be okay with it right <laughs> and he had this moment of like
0: uh and quorum her uh it's her like man at arms he's yeah. delightful he's so because bad. he clearly like a part of him has a bit of a sort of traditionalist attitude and like doesn't think this is necessarily the best idea in the world but also he like has this pragmatism where he's like Yeah, no, I would much rather have her disguised as a boy than have Tom, who's going to, like, be absolute shit
1: at this and is going to, like, embarrass me. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) core. <laughs> Another thing that I really love about the series overall is there's this emphasis on found family and like the family mm-hmm. that you choose because Lana's father is a piece of shit. He sucks. Oh yeah. He's neglectful. He's not abusive in a physical sense, but it is an abuse. Neglect is a form of abuse. Yeah. yeah. And like He gets a letter from Duke Gareth about how Alana's doing, and he's just like, Oh, yeah, my son Tom, he's doing great, whatever. Which means he didn't even read the letter that that said that
0: referred to a son named Alan that he doesn't have.
1: (laughs) And just. All of the men that Alana becomes close to, who are adults and like take care of her, they're just so wholesome. Yes. We do get some toxic masculinity, but Alana also like challenges it and deals with it, but we get a lot of wholesome masculinity. Sir Miles of Olau, who thinks that chivalry is too hard on people. I love Miles. He's so wonderful and good.
0: Also, this like really interesting like alcoholism run through that like miles like he is a lovely lovely man he also clearly
1: is something of an alcoholic yeah he is and he's functioning. He's a functioning alcohol- alcoholic. Yeah, he's a
0: high functioning alcoholic. <laughs> and like he's not, like I, he's not like, with, I, like with where Ull when it comes up in the next, in uh, The Protector of the Small series, there's this implication that he like becomes a person that he doesn't like when he's drinking. Yeah. And Miles, there doesn't seem to be anything like that. He seems to be basically the same personality wise, but also he should probably drink less.
1: Yeah, he just becomes health. jollier and just like more tired yeah. and needs help <laughs> walking back to his rooms.
0: Yeah, it's like for your own Health, you should probably not be regularly getting so drunk that you need help walking, like getting back to your rooms in the same palace.
1: And I think also Miles drinking so much. It's probably due to like this whole concept of chivalry and the toxic yeah. masculinity that comes with it and how mm-hmm. he opposes it so hard and drinking is the only way he can cope.
0: Right. And that he's, you know, seeing all of these young men who he probably feels like are being like in some ways kind of broken and pushed into this way of being that he thinks is really unhealthy and that it's clearly something that he has trouble coping with and especially like even more so given that most of them are like, oh, Miles, you're being silly. <laughs>
1: yep 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 they all argue with him at some level and he's just like ugh (laughs) (laughs) why but there's also quorum who like puts his entire faith in alana there is duke gareth also yeah puts his faith in a squire he thinks is named alan but (laughs) he still supports them yeah
0: yeah and It's really nice that so, you know, ultimately when she wins her shield, she fights with Duke Roger, and he basically, while they're fighting, slices through her like corset boob bonding thing yeah. <laughs> and...
1: by then it is a special corset to bound her chest flat
0: right and then everybody's like um boobs what and she has to like reveal herself <laughs> in the middle of this battle and then like immediately after like kills the
1: king's nephew <laughs> and... the blessed tom who interferes is like go get dressed i got this <laughs> right <laughs> and it's literally it's in the middle of
0: a duel and everybody's like the fuck
1: What is happening?
0: (laughs) And, like, then immediately after, like, she kills Duke Roger. And it's great how almost, like, how so many of the people involved just essentially, like, take this in stride. That they're, like, you're still the person that I know. And the fact that you're a woman is totally fine. Yeah.
1: I mean, some people definitely have issues. King rolled Right. Um. Yeah. Um, but the okay, people that well. she grew up with, like Raúl and Gary and Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan. I was gonna name other knights, and like they're not coming to me. <laughs> I'm my head is full with names of knights, and I'm just like, nope, that's protector of the small. <laughs> nope. Well, like Duke a- Baird, who we'll see more of. Yeah. Like he clearly was like chill yeah. with it, basically. Yeah, we meet lots of people who support Alana and appreciate her, and it helps yeah. when Jonathan names her his champion. Yes. Yeah, that that gives her a
0: a kind of authority that she might not have had otherwise.
1: We have not mentioned Faithful at all.
0: (laughs) Yes, I was going to say, I was just about to say, we need to talk about (laughs) the cat who is my dream.
1: (laughs) Faithful, a magical cat with purple eyes who just appeared out of nowhere. And is like a gift from
0: the goddess and like talks or like she understands him when he meows and other people like see this and are like, is this like a legit conversation? And then sometimes, like Faithful will like make it so that other people understand him, and it's like it's an in- it's an intense like cat situation. It is.
1: Faithful is the
0: most purest essence of a cat. Yes, faithful. Faithful is my is my dream pet. I love Faithful. Sorry, sorry to Opie and Carmen, but I love Faithful so much.
1: <laughs> oh, he's good. And Faithful's story does not end with Alana. He does reappear in. Really? Tamara's books. Interesting. I remember there being something vaguely in Wild Magic. Yeah, he makes an appearance in Wild that's Magic, right. sitting at the feet that of I the goddess. That I haven't in a while.
0: Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, because there's a lot about how she like has this relationship with the goddess and is like protected by her. She gets this magic amulet. The cat is also clearly connected to the
1: goddess. Yeah. I mean, Alana is an instrument of the gods to do work that they can't do themselves. Yes. Which, unfortunately for her, makes things harder for women who later want to follow in her footsteps.
0: Right. And part of that also is the big emphasis on the fact that she has magic, which is referred to often as a gift. And there's a lot of emphasis in the beginning on the fact that Tom is really into magic and she kind of doesn't want to have to deal with her magic.
1: Yeah. One thing that I wanted to make sure that we mention is that each of these four books teaches a lesson. Mm -hmm. And in the first book, it is about putting in the work to achieve your goals and knowing your Mm -hmm. worth. And the second book, it is about coming to terms with love, right? Yeah. And then the third book, it's about Alana coming to terms with her magic. She spent so much yeah. of her time not using it and then only using it for healing.
0: And only using it in really dramatic situations. Yeah. I mean, so because she basically, there's this uh, there's this sweating sickness, which, you know, is obviously caused by Duke Roger because he's terrible. Right, because he sucks. And... <laughs> and she's basically like seeing this happening and like ravaging the palace and then and like finally like jonathan gets sick and she realizes that basically like she'll never forgive herself if she doesn't try to
1: do something with her magic to heal him yeah it's always the last ditch effort and ever since her fight with roger she feels like magic is dirty in some way yeah but in the third book she gets the opportunity to realize that it's a part of her. It's not going anywhere. She has yeah. to master it. and she really like she becomes this whole new person, this this complete mm-hmm. person when she yes. finally embraces it.
0: yeah. and the and the melding of the swords too really feels like a kind of metaphor for Alana herself in a way of yeah uh, the yeah, that there's the sword that she uh. I mean, they both are kind of magical, of course. Uh, right. That there's the sword that she pulled out of these ruins, uh, and a like very sort of Arthurian Excalibur like thing. And uh, uh, when she was go- when she was with uh, traveling with Sir Miles, and then there's this magic like crystal sword that it turns out was actually created by Duke Roger, but it like is specifically essentially intend- intended to like focus magic in some way, basically.
1: Yes, and it's a very hungry object. Yes and her
0: uniting these swords because it's uh, that sword actually like destroys lightning her other her previous sword and she then kind of unites them together and uh, it's yeah I think very much also about like realizing these two halves of herself
1: I really like the kind of Chekhov situation of this combined sword and Aladdin's yes fight with Roger <laughs> like his, <laughs> her final final fight with the resurrected Roger because you know Tom has to defy the gods and bring someone yeah. back from the dead we need to talk like about this do resurrection
0: because okay i'm fine with tom deciding i need to defy the gods and, and do a resurrection that seems like tom that's fine why duke roger the person who has like his sister killed the person who like was actually like kind of following and harassing him also for years the person who like committed treason and that is known like why not literally any anyone other else Just anyone top. This
1: courtier died last year. He seems nice enough. (laughs) Well, that wouldn't have been impressive. That wouldn't have scared people. bringing back Duke Roger, that like gives him the status to show that he can do whatever he wants.
0: I mean, I feel like a resurrection is still pretty like terrifying regardless of it
1: is super
0: bad. It's clearly like a plot resurrection. And it makes sense because my categories, I guess.
1: <laughs> Nobody disagree, likes Duke tell. Roger. Cats especially don't like Duke right. Roger.
0: Yeah, exactly. Faithful is very angry at Duke Roger. He would hate Duke Roger too, wouldn't you, Carmen? <laughs> um, but yeah, but that like her defeating him like in book two when he's set up very clearly from the beginning as this major antagonist, it does feel a little anticlimactic, right?
1: And so, what else is the series going to be about?
0: Right. And so it makes sense that he like plot wise that he gets brought back, but it also doesn't actually totally make sense that Tom would think that this is a good
1: plan. Well, Tom, who is the smartest person in the room, is also the dumbest person in the room. Oh, 100%. <laughs> he was operating with his final brain cell that day. <laughs> With Delia of Eldorn up his ass the entire time. <laughs> oh my god, fucking Delia of Eldorn, like uh, and Josan of the Copper Isles. Like they're all terrible, terrible people. <laughs> That is the
0: other thing is that it. this book is interesting in that it like has, you know, not like the top villains, but like it has as like two of Roger's like big henchmen are women. Yeah. And yeah, there's this like interesting reckoning with like women villains that I feel like often doesn't happen,
1: mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, there is a scene where Josiane comes at Alana with a double bladed axe. Where did you learn to use that? Well and she kills Faithful with fuck that bitch. Yeah, she she's Oh the my worst. god. Ugh. But don't worry, Faithful is a magical creature and is not yes. entirely dead. yeah Okay. I But I cried. You. I 100 I percent sobbed when the kitty died. Understandably. I cried. Having every read time. these books
0: yeah having read these books 40 times i'm like sitting into bed and i'm like saying like no and just sobbing and like my dog is like getting off and she's like all concerned
1: (laughs) (laughs) i read like a very innocuous sentence and i start getting very emotional over it Mm -hmm. i'm just like god's all blessed (laughs) just sobbing (laughs) for no reason just
0: like miles is so nice I know, because he also he adopts her. And it's so So lovely, especially because like her
1: actual father sucks. And like he died. And just without a word without ever finding out without ever being proud of her, he just disappears. Right, Miles is the one who advised her, who trusted her, who knew her secret the entire time and didn't say anything because he was waiting for her to feel comfortable to tell him. uh. I
0: actually really like even that there's that bit in the second book where Jonathan uh, is about to tell him because Alana gets kidnapped and is in an enemy camp during the middle of this war. And he's about to like say, you know, Alana or Alan of all people really shouldn't be in this position. And Miles is basically like interrupts him and is basically like, I think I know what you're going to say it. Don't say it. I want to hear it from her or from Alan. Right.
1: And also Miles is being smart because like you don't know who's listening right now. Yup.
0: Especially like in it's a context in which like I bet Roger is not that far away.
1: Yup. uh Miles. want him to know. Miles is too good for Tortall. He really is. He's so great. I could just talk for five hours about how great Miles is. I know I
0: love him so much. Like it's it's really nice that there's just like a good dad.
1: And we haven't even talked about Eleni George's mom. Oh, I love her so much. And I find it
0: okay. I find it delightful that they get together, even though also in my head for like two thirds of these books, I was like, "Oh, is Miles gay?"
1: (laughs) That's a valid read. Yeah, I mean, he is like up there in years and unmarried. Like, that would be yeah. a fair assumption.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like there is this, like, Im- I don't know. And I feel like there is, like, this interesting thing in terms of, like, what is happening when you have these, like, elite propertyed men who are in a position where clearly, like, they're supposed to have an heir. Like, why aren't they getting married?
1: Yeah. You know, in order for Miles to have an heir, he names Alana.
0: Right. Yeah. Which is obviously, you know, great. And everybody's very happy about that. But... It uh, still like his his not getting married until he does eventually end up marrying Eleni, which is very cute. Also because then they're like double. We've got like a fun like double in law situation
1: because (laughs) Alana ends up with George and he marries George's mom. It's very funny and very cute and very (laughs) wholesome. And like, I know that not everybody needs to pair up. It's fine. Right. But it makes me happy in my heart that Miles has someone that takes care of him and makes him happy. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm here for that. I'm very much here for that.
0: Just let people be happy. Okay. (laughs) Leave me alone. Yeah. I am also. Okay. So there's obviously a like age disparity situation that is happening in Alana's relationships, which is like kind of not great given how young she is. Mm -hmm. But after this read of book three, I am so happy that she does not end
1: up with Jonathan. Jonathan is a child and I hate him throughout all of book three. He is such a monster. Oh my God.
0: He kind of like sucks in book two too, because okay, if you're like, so she knows that Jonathan, he's like sometimes sleeping with Delia and sometimes not sleeping with Delia and is like a bitch regardless. And like,
1: why did she want to sleep with this man? I don't know. I don't know why she's so in love with him when George is right there. Yes. Right there. And he respects you and he cares about you. And like he.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah. And in book three, when like Jonathan proposes and she's like, oh, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. And like, you know, they're still like in a relationship. Like she hasn't said no. And she also like. She hasn't said know. yes. Yeah, she hasn't said no, she hasn't said yes, and, like, they're they're in their relationship that they're in regardless, and then he's just, like, assuming that, like, that she said yes, and that she's gonna, like, come with him when he leaves,
1: because they're still, like, sleeping together, and she's like, uh, the fuck? Yeah, because his whole thing is, like, women dither about, and, like, this womanly nonsense, and I'm like, my right. man, you have known her for eight years. Yes, because it's also, like, it is very,
0: like... I mean, it's very much this, like, idea of uh, women, like, saying no when they mean yes, which actually is coming out of uh, medieval chivalric and, like, courtly love literature and uh, is also, like, very much, like, related to 21st century rape culture in a lot of ways. Yep. It's not great. Nope. But it's that, yeah, it's like, but you know this person. Like, when has she ever been like that? Like, in addition to the fact that, like, your assumption that women are like that is, like, one whole thing. But your assumption that this person in particular is like is like that is like, how does this bear out with anything that you know about this person? Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, you have fought beside her. You have gotten to know her. You know for a fact that whenever she is making a decision, she's very deliberate about it. She has always been yeah. deliberate about it. She doesn't make decisions lightly. Yeah. It's like you forgot who she is in the time that she went to spend time with the Bazir. Yeah, who
0: we should talk about the Bazir. Yes. Because they are not super well done. No, they are not. The presumption is essentially that most of the people are basically like white European-y kind of people Mm -hmm. in Tortal. And then you have the Bazeer who are like vaguely Arab Muslim kind of Bedouin inspired individuals. And I'm going to talk more about like the specifics of the Issues of them as a portrayal of like that culture in the next segment. But I'll just say now that it's very uncomfortable that you have uh, this very, it just is a very heavily stereotyped portrayal. The insistence on like them being like extra misogynist. Mm-hmm makes me uncomfortable
1: yeah it's not done well and Tamara knows it like yeah in the years since this has been published she has expressed wishes to correct some of her errors and she mm-hmm. has in a lot of ways like in protector of the small representations yeah. of the Bazir, are much better they're not yeah. they don't spend as much time with them but it does get better over time yeah but that being said there is a moment in book three where jonathan a white man has to come in and become a religious leader for these people so as to unite the two nations. Like religious and political leader, Yeah, a religious and political leader to unite the two nations, which does the double duty of making them one nation, so that way they're no longer warring with each other, which I understand the impulse there. You're trying to solve a problem and that seems like the best solution, but it's not the best solution. That's a terrible solution.
0: And it's a solution also that ultimately is like subjugating them to but simultaneously presenting them as being saved by a white
1: dude. Yeah, exactly. And I know that Tamara Pierce wants to give the position of the voice back to the bazir people. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's ever going to get a chance to write a book in which she does that. But I know that is one of her future goals. Right. Yeah, the Bazir are not presented great. There is one thing that I like, and that's when Alana is getting to know the women of the Bazir. And Uh she learns to do her own weaving and they yeah. say to her like what you you shouldn't be doing that like you have so many more important things to do and Alana's is just like what is more important than my clothes like yeah i should be learning like, to this do is what an you important do. practical skill yeah and in general i will say
0: i really like that even though so alana you know she obviously is disguising herself as a man for a long time and uh, when she hits puberty she obviously has really complicated feelings about that but i appreciate that overall. She is not like she manages to like have all of that but she doesn't like denigrate or look down on like traditional femininity and she doesn't yeah. like and like she, she really somehow manages to like not be too much like I'm not like other girls right she recognizes <laughs> that she's different from many women because she was socialized differently right that she had different experiences and practice from almost every woman
1: she knows right and again when she's getting to know the women of the bazaar, and she is after her two apprentices to the, like lose their face veil. She eventually comes to understand, like that's not my call that I can make for them.
0: Yeah, and- yeah, which I appreciate that. And I I appreciate, you know, that she's like, you know, that she like has, it seems like she like is like gains a like respect for like the fact that other women have made different choices from her yeah and that they have like different ways of like being women, but
1: like still having agency and being badass in the world. Yeah, definitely. And she also meets Thea and Burry yes. and learns different ways that women have had to survive in the world. I really like Thea and Burry. I love Thea and Burry. <laughs> Thayette is so good great and wonderful and when she meets Jonathan and just like busts him on his ass verbally for the yes. first time I'm just like yes
0: I'm simultaneously so here from that and also a little part of me is like but that deserves better than Jonathan that is also
1: true <laughs> But also Thayette the Peerless. Uh, she's so great. Yeah.
0: And obviously he has to marry somebody and she deserves to be queen.
1: She does. Of like something. She'll, she'll do such a great job. And she does. Yeah, she'll she does a great, great job. She like starts yeah. schools all over Tortal. And yes. she does not stop fighting just because she becomes queen. Like, ugh.
0: Yeah. Thayette. And she like actually makes it possible for like another way to like be, for like women to be warriors mm-hmm. that she like creates this group called the Queen's Riders Who are, you know, women who, they're not knights, uh, but they're, like, military women who are, like, her, kind of, like, her, like, bodyguard, but they also, like, have other things that they do.
1: Yeah, there's the Queen's Riders who are, no, there's the Queen's Ladies, and then there's the Queen's Riders. There's two different groups. The Queen's Ladies are the ones that, like, act as bodyguards and can go with her. Right. And then the Queen's Riders are mixed groups who are military, well, kind of military. They're like shock groups. They're smaller. Yeah. They uh, ride lighter ponies instead of big stallions or geldings. And they can go more places and do more things without being as conspicuous as, say, a knight or one of the king's mm-hmm. own. Yeah. So they had great. Yeah. And a that, that's yeah, a group that includes
0: both men and women and that Burry is the commander of, mm-hmm. uh, who starts out as her bodyguard initially.
1: Toussaint was weird. Yeah. I don't know what was going on in Toussaint.
0: Yeah, because there's this like, or Serene. Serene. Toussaint was a different
1: country. There's so
0: many. Yeah. There's a a lot. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Scanra. Gala. Yeah. (laughs) So Serene had this like whole thing where they have uh, this combination of these like tribal people, which is, oh God, what are are they named? Uh, The Khmeri. The Khmeri, who is where Buri comes from and Thyat is the daughter of a uh, Khmeri woman, but her father was the uh, warlord of the... Other people in Serene, and he basically like bitched about the fact that she wasn't a man, and also like, despite the fact that he had this marriage, like has is like starting this like war with the Khmer, and then the mother kills herself over all this, and it's a lot. Yeah. There is a lot of suicide in book four. Yeah. Because also, like, there is this like sort of open secret that so queen the queen, Leanne, Jonathan's mother, dies. And then rolled like kills himself, like he like rides his horse into a ravine.
1: Yep, which is intense. And the official word is that it was an accident. But when Jonathan and Alana are alone, he tells her, like, nope, he killed himself. That is definitely what happened. He did not give a shit about ruling the country anymore. Did not care about me. He was done.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, and I actually had forgotten that. And it's it's a lot. And it it's is.
1: and it's a lot for Jonathan to have to grapple with.
0: It forces him to grow up a
1: lot faster. And the Jonathan that we saw in three is not the same Jonathan we see in four. Yes. Like he is definitely a man in four. Instead of a petulant child, as he yeah, was and pre- he's
0: he's still imperfect, but he's somebody who uh, you get the sense that overall, even if imperfect, will be a fairly decent king.
1: Yeah, like he cares about his people. He cares about yeah. the people that he commands. You know, he wants Alana to be his champion and not his wife because he knows that that's where she'll do the greatest good. Yeah. yeah. And he
0: also, you know, respects the choices that she made and that she is making, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Alana's men, God, we. Liam, I. Also. <laughs> Oh my God. I, okay, he had never been my favorite. I always, I remember like reading Lion is Rampant very much like when, so he's a, he's a Shang warrior and he like trains her in hand-to-hand combat in there in that style that they fight in. And also, you know, then also they become lovers. I remember even as a kid reading this and being like, but why him when <laughs> you, I mean, I know you just had a fight with Jonathan, that's fine, but like, what happened to George? Why don't
1: you just like, Cold off when for when do you get home? And you've got George. Yeah, right. Because he's better. And like, uh, part of it, I think, is this idea. Like, Alana's still very young. She's still a young woman. Yes. She's like 19, 1920 by the fourth book. And I'm fine with her like not having to settle down. I just right. don't like Liam. I hate Liam too. <laughs> he like he calls her kitten, and I'm just like, Oh okay, my god, it's so <laughs> patronizing. I hate it so much. He like carries her a lot. Because she
0: exhausts herself and, like, at And, like, he really does treat her like a child. He does. And, like, the way that he acts when he's training her, like, it's interesting because, like, she also, like, I mean, so George, for example, like, trained her in, like, rogue-style fighting. He, when he did so, I felt, like, treated her as an equal, even Mm -hmm. though I think at that point he still thought she was a boy, but, like, uh, you know, still somebody who was, like, a lot younger than him. And he didn't act like he was like he did. He wasn't patronizing in that way. It seemed to me like he was treating her as like an equal and as somebody who was competent. Mm-hmm. Whereas when Liam is training Alana, it feels like he's treating her like she's a child. And it's like, bitch, she's a full grown knight. Yeah. How do you My think God. she became a knight? And uh, uh, Liam. And he's also very like prejudiced against her, the fact that she can do magic, mm-hmm. which A is like, she kind of realizes relatively soon that she's like, well, this doesn't bode well for this relationship. <laughs> yeah. But it also like it doesn't speak well of him that he like has this really intense prejudice about something that is like a natural
1: part of some people. Yeah. And like there's a time where she has to use magic in order for them to do something that they absolutely must do. And he's so obnoxious about it. He's like, when you're ready to do the real work, come talk to me. Like, go fuck yourself. You're the worst. He has this prejudice against her for being a noble because he thinks that she can't do the hard work, even though she had Mm -hmm. to do the hard work to become a knight. He has this prejudice against her because she's a woman sometimes, because when she decides, you know what, we have nothing to do today. I'm going to wear a fucking dress. And he freaks out. Freaks out. He just loses it. He's just like, well, I guess you realize that fighting is too hard. So you're going to go be a noble woman now. And it's just like, what? because you like wore a dress to dinner. You can't all like, it's just, I mean,
0: it's just like, is this. And, I mean, it's just it's this, like, misogynistic way of thinking about, like, masculinity and, femi- and femininity that, like, as much as I don't, I, like, didn't love Jonathan, especially on this reread, like, he doesn't have that and George certainly
1: doesn't have that. Mm. And, like, I think the thing that Liam serves for this book is to make Alana realize that, like, I cannot live one, like, I cannot live my life pretending that part of me doesn't exist. Yeah. I like to wear dresses. They make me happy. Will I wear them all the time? No, because sometimes it's just better to wear pants, and that's fine. Yeah. But also, I'm a mage. I have to use my magic. If I don't, bad things will happen. And I get that. Just right. like I have to use my fighting arts. Like, this is a book that where she really- you use all the tools you have in your toolkit. Yeah, she pulls in all the things that make her Alana, and she knows that That's what makes who she is. Yeah,
0: And that is interesting. Also, I think in terms of thinking about like her being at peace with herself, it's also really interesting. So when she's having this climactic fight at the end with the resurrected Duke Roger, she basically thinks like, what is the one thing he doesn't expect of me? And it's to stop fighting. And so basically he's like calling the sword to him and she just lets go and he calls it to him such that it like buries itself in his heart and kills him. And oh, oh, he's finally dead. Oh,
1: so good good so good so well written perfect end to this terrible man
0: I will say I had this like mildly traumatic reaction the very first time I read these books to the resurrection and I spent all of the wild magic quartet the very first time I read it thinking somebody was going to like re-resurrect Duke Roger oh no (laughs) I was like you better not come back don't bring that dude back stay
1: dead damn it god no roger never comes back we can confirm roger stays dead good to know I now i
0: can read the other books that i have not read in peace and not and not and not be like oh god when are they gonna bring back
1: duke roger don't bring back duke roger don't he will do never it. come back wild magic does not bring him back wild magic is a completely new character yes And Um, Alana's like in it, but a side character. Yeah. That's also what I like. She continues working in these worlds, but she moves on. She like, she kind of lets go of the character and they're still existing and doing things in the world, but they're no longer her focus. She frees herself up and thinks about other people and how the world might change. Nothing stays stagnant. Mm -hmm. Things are always changing. I really like how that works.
0: And yeah, and when we talk about protector of the small will i'm really interested in terms of talking about like what we see in terms of how Tortall has like changed in yeah. those generations because it changes
1: a lot it's like yeah it 10 does. years later from right i think it's about 10 years later that sounds about right
0: or no it has to be more because john I, well i i can't remember how long it is from wild magic but it has to be more from song of the lioness because uh Jonathan and Thyat's oldest kid is a page and is like what 12 for it 12 or 13 at the beginning
1: yeah so uh, it's, so it's about 12 to
0: 13 to 14 years I guess assuming like as if the, on the assumption that they
1: like got pregnant soon yeah that must Probably. be it. I'm yeah. trying to remember how <laughs> book one of Protector of the Small started and I'm like nope <laughs> I've read too much <laughs> I am in well, lady night now. I can't remember now. Well, we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll be fine.
0: <laughs> so, anything else just kind of generally to say about the uh the
1: books before the Next section. We have jumped around a lot and I think we covered we a have. lot of things. Alana does get together with George. It's great. It's wonderful because George does not force himself on her until she like explicitly says to him, like, no, this is what I want. And he's like, Great, perfect. I really
0: like that. Yeah. He he does do in the like initial, like, there's like a surprise kiss while she's like got her hands full, which I don't love. No. Which in terms of like that. their first romantic interaction. But I would say that and, like, the age difference, which is intense for how old they are, is uh, the only issues I have overall that I really like, on the whole, how George uh, behaves
1: with her. Yeah. And like and how he seems as a partner. When George says to her the things that he wants, would you want to have children one day? And she goes, yeah, one day, but first, adventure. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, it's good. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And she's like, and, you know, and he's like, you know, would you like settle down? And he's like, well, I mean, I am still the king's champion, but like, I'm up to like get
1: married. It's very good. I like how they end. I like them yeah. together. They're a good team. Yes. And Jonathan with is also good.
0: Yeah. And George also, George goes
1: respectable. He, yeah, uh, he becomes he, uh, <laughs> a baron.
0: Yeah, he becomes a baron, but he's also like, uh, I mean, he's like the spymaster, basically, right?
1: Uh, Miles is a spy master but oh, yes. George is his second in command
0: yes right so he's yeah so he's got he's got some official some official positioning now yeah. just as like a slight side thing I really like just very briefly so there there's the uh, the Lord Provost who obviously like uh, his job is basically Provost. to like catch George <laughs> yeah. and I adore how um, he's just like they actually like run into each other like on the same side in this big battle at the end and the Lord Provost like winks at him <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> I love it especially Actually, the thing so I love cute. about the Lord Provost is w- they talk about him a lot, and we don't see him, I think, until the fourth book. And whenever he's talked about, the rogues are like fiercely proud of him because rogues from other countries are like talk about him with fear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that's our so provost.
0: <laughs> oh, the other, the one other character that we have not talked about at all is uh Ralon. Oh, uh, Ralon of Malvin because he's not worth yeah. talking about. He's garbage. <laughs> He's, he is garbage, but I, I do like the way in which it takes. So it's like the Alana's like bully, like minor antagonist who then like leaves court and like stops training to be a knight in the beginning, like in book one. I like how she takes that figure and makes him like not the main villain or anything, but that he comes back as just like an asshole, like with a grudge, who then like sides with Duke Roger and is also like trying
1: to like take down George and become king and become head of the rogue. Yeah. And it's a good thing he didn't stay and try to become a knight because he would have fucking died in the ordeal. He would not have survived. The The ordeal would have killed him. (laughs) who yeah. have been like mm, no thanks do not want <laughs> yeah god Raylan sucks he like he does suck. disappears from court after alana beats him up as alan right and then when he returns nobody recognizes him because his face is so scarred it's because he assaulted someone and, yep, had and she threw acid him. in his face <laughs>
0: through acid fright in his face and that's how they eventually figure out who he is is because they're like those scars are weird and also like they figure out based on the way he talks that he's probably a noble Mm -hmm. and uh, then they like are you know doing this digging and are like huh
1: that dude they should have also known because he was such a fucking coward anytime that he wanted to fight George he wouldn't fight George he would manipulate other people into doing it for him through bribes or threats or whatever
0: Yeah, and it's, you know, when he's uh, younger, we see that he he beats up on Alan and on the other, like, pages who are, like, smaller. Mm -hmm. He never does anything in front of the pages who are, like, bigger guys who he knows could take him. And, you know, then eventually Alan, like, because of the training that she does with George, manages to beat him. But that he, like, he is very much cowardly in that same way. Yeah.
1: I just remember the scene where... Duke Gareth was just like I wish you would trounce that guy (laughs) she's like I'm trying I'm real tired of falling down right because it's also the running thing about like you never tattle
0: right Right. you never say like I got into a fight and like so and so like was bullying me and he beat me up
1: you say I fell down yep uh so good so funny And I just want to talk about her dialogue for a second she's so witty her banter is just so good Just the way that people talk to each other and interact with each other. It's very realistic. And it's just, ah, it gives me feelings. I love it.
0: And it feels very real. And, like, these characters, like, I still, like, they still feel real to me. And I still feel very connected to them. I love these books.
1: I do, too. I'm going to, like, start crying because I love it so much. (laughs) Like, I got a tattoo inspired by uh, her Circle of Magic series. And... I didn't cry while getting the tattoo, but I did get mm-hmm. very emotional and it had nothing to do with pain. I was just thinking about how much I love those four stupid children. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about how much I love them and I was like getting worked up and I was like, why am I crying? <laughs> it has nothing to do with the pain. I was thinking the other day, I think I might want a us rampant tattoo. Yes, I support this. It's really good. Support it entirely. Yeah. I think we covered as much as yeah, if
0: you're ready to uh to move on to the uh, the next section yes. where
1: which is where I get
0: pedantic about history in the Vera at Falso section. And I listen. <laughs>
1: to the best contribute. of my ability. I am not a historian.
0: <laughs> so I will say as a disclaimer, this is a work of fantasy, so she can kind of do whatever the hell she wants. It's true. So, you know, there's obviously some amount of nitpicky things that I would do for historical fiction that I don't uh, have to do for this. But there are a couple of things that I think are interesting that she is clearly kind of like, one thing that I think she's clearly drawing on medieval realities and others that I think she might maybe get right accidentally. The first is I wanted to mention that the sweating sickness is a real disease that ravaged late medieval and early modern England, and it involves indeed heavy sweating and also a really rapid period of illness that basically within 24 hours, either you're dead or you're probably going to get better. Also, it's a disease that I noticed she mentions in the book that it doesn't affect children, and that was also true of the sweating sickness that it seems to have, uh, yeah, not that children seem to have not really been susceptible to it. That's a real hardcore pass fail though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> either you died or you were fine.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's actually, it's interesting because this to some extent seems similar and right. And that yeah, like, some people recovered. Like it's either yeah. And it seems like it's a, like a really fast turn. Like I think in the book, it's not quite 24 hours, but it's also like a really fast turnaround yeah. that like, either you're dead like real quick or you're gonna probably be okay yeah and yeah and I thought that was cool that I I assume that she's drawing on that to some extent I believe so it may or may not have been what killed Henry VIII's older brother Arthur so why there was not a King Arthur of England and instead a King Henry VIII who murdered two of his wives (laughs) (laughs) Alas, Uh, (laughs) what could have been And so people, you know, like in the case of COVID-19, people essentially knew to practice basically like quarantine and self-isolation when the sweating sickness was around. So Henry is known to have basically, so when he's courting Anne Boleyn, she got it. And Henry was just aggressively like, yeah, no, I'm not fucking visiting.
1: Which is valid. It is understandable. And if you are out there and you are not quarantining, what is wrong with you? Yes, you should be quarantining and oh self-isolating.
0: They knew how to do it in the 16th century. Yeah. You have
1: no and excuse.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, my God. Sorry, I got real worked <laughs> up about that. Yeah, pandemics
0: are so relevant now. It's great.
1: Yeah. There's a blonde cat in my kitchen who is not supposed to be in there. Mm. It'll be fine. I stealth kitty. Bernie will be fine. (laughs) Okay,
0: Uh, but yeah, so I thought that was a cool touch that she clearly like draws on this thing. And the other thing that I thought was kind of done really well is that I like that with relatively few exceptions, most people are just basically chill about magic as a thing that like, it can be dangerous, but it's just like a thing that some people have and some people don't. And it's kind of linked to the gods. And I liked that, especially because so there's often a perception of the Middle Ages as like everybody being like, oh, get the witches. But actually, witch persecution is much more of an early modern phenomenon. In the Middle Ages, like magic often intersects with medicine and with religion and is not necessarily always like considered to be bad or evil in the same way. And like, and like, let's catch the witches is not really like a big thing.
1: Yeah, I personally just love a world where magic just is. Yeah, we don't have to dissect it. We don't have to be like, where did this come from? It just is. It's there. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't think about it.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, I like it as like a relative as like I like it as a magic system and that like it's not necessarily like the most like clearly like delineated and developed magic system in some ways. But it's just like, yeah, like these are the kinds of things you can do and you can't do it indefinitely. You're kind of like tire yourself out in certain situations and uh, you know, you have limits and different people have different limits.
1: Yeah. And they're like different specialties. Like some people yeah. have more of a knack for healing and some people have more of a knack for like war magic and battle magic.
0: Yeah. I like how it works overall. Also, I <laughs> the love control. that I'm so jealous. Oh my God. Of <laughs> no! the like birth control. It's like you wear a necklace and you'll never get pregnant. It's like, are you kidding me? Uh... <laughs>
1: It makes me so angry. I'm so bad at taking pills. I forget every day. Like, it doesn't matter if I set an alarm. I'll just look at the alarm and be like, okay. And then I will immediately forget. It doesn't matter. I will just be like, okay, put my phone down. What was I doing? Just I just can't do it. So I got an IUD, which is great because I never have to think about it, but also bad because it messes with my health and my hormones and right. like, my emotions so bad. Imagine if you just had a necklace. Just a necklace just so, a necklace uh, it would be so convenient oh my god and there's also this is more protector of the small and I will talk about it again but I want to talk about it now because i am worked up about it now yes the, the sniffles could be just cured with some tea Oh, my tea. God. Drink this tea. I'm so jealous. Uh, God, I hate having a cold. And allergies? Allergies are the bane of my existence. If Neil yes. could just, like, wiggle his fingers at my face and they go away.
0: It would be so nice. Like, I keep getting these, like, sore throats that are, like, I think allergies combined with, like, weird reactions to, like, the heating and cooling system in my house. Yep, same. And every day I, like, wake up and I have to, like, obsessively take my, te- take my temperature because, like, I, I'm, I'm like, oh, I have a sore throat. Do I have this, like, horrible disease that's ravaging the country? <laughs> Am I going to die? <laughs>
1: nope. I'm just frail. <laughs> no, my body just sucks and hates me. <laughs> yep.
0: It's basically
1: it, it, I'm just so jealous that like Alana could put her hand on someone and just be like, Hit. "Yeah." Yeah. So very jealous. But
0: I will say, you know, I I appreciate also that, you know, this is included. And I will say that in the Middle Ages, there were birth control methods. They were not as effective as either this necklace or probably most
1: birth control methods that we have today. But they did exist and people did practice birth control. On a very side note, I just want to squeeze this in. I did not mention this book was on the banned books list because of period talk. Yes, which is so interesting and weird. Like, not because of sex or romance or magic or anything, specifically because a young woman has her period. That's it.
0: <laughs> Which is so, like, light. And also, okay, I am also, in addition to the various other things I've said about this book, like, I am 90% sure that this book, like, helped me, like, prepare for, like, getting my period when I was, like, fairly young. I was, like, 11-ish. Oh, yeah, that's pretty young. You know, and so, like, I read these books when I was first, the first, the first time when I was, like, nine, and, like, you know, it's, like and we had this, like, pretty clear depiction of like her getting her period for the first time and being like i don't know what the fuck this is um which is we're also like lost. oh my god honey nobody told you
1: we talked about this on a different podcast and we were like mod why did you not just like create a care package be yes. like, on the day that this happens open this box <laughs> Right? Like I would have taken like 15 I have minutes a to have
0: like that conversation.
1: <laughs> Here's a letter. Here are some pads. You're going to need them someday. Just hang on to them. It'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, but
0: yeah, but it is this like it's it is just like it's very it's a very clear depiction of this and then like everybody like you know she's obviously freaking out cuz she doesn't know what ha- what's happening, but then like she goes to Eleni who's like very like chill about it. And also I like the very just like casual sex positiveness. Yeah. Of just Oh, and by the way, in case like, you know, now because you're menstruating, that means you could get pregnant. So, you know, here's like your don't get pregnant charm for whenever you happen to need it.
1: Stupid thing. Makes me so mad.
0: Just so ridiculous. But like. You know, if, like, it would be a good thing in society in the 21st century if when you got your period, like, when you got your period or before or whatever, but, like, say, you know, just for example, when you got your period, if somebody's also like, by the way, this also means that if you have sex, you can get pregnant and this is how you, like, avoid getting pregnant yeah, and getting Yeah,
1: no, 100%. Like, <laughs> Eleni is the best. I, yeah. Mm, I actually don't know. If at any point in Alana's books we talk about why Eleni is no longer with the goddess temple. Like, she used to serve right. the temple of the goddess. So, are people who serve the temple
0: of the goddess allowed to, like,
1: have and raise
0: children? I do Because know. that's actually what I was... I kind of made it up. But that was my assumption, is that, like, if you got pregnant and wanted
1: to like keep and parent the child then like you would have to drop out that might be what happened I do not remember for the life of me that actually it might come up in Becca Cooper's books
0: okay good to know but yeah I mean because that was just like my assumption just because like my vague sense of uh, like a lot of like ancient like goddess cults like I mean so often there's like a virginity requirement there's either a virginity requirement or if there's not it's like There's, like, fertility stuff, but, like, you don't, like, raise kids there. Yeah. So that was my guess, is that it's
1: just, like, not normal for you to be a
0: priestess of the goddess and also, like, be a parent.
1: That might be what the case was. But Eleni, having been a member of the temple, like, is incredibly sex positive because it's considered a gift from the goddess in a way. Yeah. Because she's so in tune with it. She's just like, here's everything you need to know. Good thing you came to me. I know all about this shit. Right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's also, like, it's really nice because at that, like, from that point on, it's also, like, nice that Alana has, like, a woman to talk to about, yeah. like, being a woman. And, like, it's nice to see her also, like, grow into, like, that being something that she, like, enjoys and finds
1: meaningful. Yeah, and that she doesn't have to look down upon the trappings of femininity. Yeah, yeah. But it is hard to learn, like, an entirely different set of courtly rules.
0: <laughs> right. That she's like, I know how to behave at court. And Eleni's like, do
1: you? <laughs> <laughs> but really, though.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it also, like, just by the way, like, this is kind of going on to things we've talked about before. But, like, I also I really like that I feel like she has, like, a very, like, interesting, like, mentality about like code switching and exactly like when to wear a dress and when not to wear a dress like I think it's interesting that she's like at court often I might choose to wear a dress specifically when I'm like at the coronation ceremony because I'm there in my official role as king's champion I should wear breeches or like I think she ends up coming with this like weird like combo situation yeah they're
1: like wide pants that yeah. could be seen as skirts but they are definitely pants yeah and but that she's
0: like I can't just like wear I can't just like wear a dress and look like a noble lady because uh, that's not reflective of the role that I am yeah. playing in this specific uh, like ceremonial circumstance 100% yeah and I, I really like that that she like has this very like I really like the way that she's kind of like compartmentalizing basically like what clothes are appropriate when with like without like thinking of them as like gender-based in the way that most of the people around her would. Yeah definitely. So there's a couple of things that could have been done better. The bajir are a big example of this and there are a couple of things in particular I would say that bothered me about this portrayal in terms of putting them in the context of the reality of uh, the medieval Islamic world. First of all they're the only representations of that world in this universe. So while the nomadic kind of Bedouin-style tribes obviously existed and are part of that history, it weirds me out that she essentially makes the choice that that's what all of the like faux Muslims are. And they like have this like one city, but they don't really like cities and cities aren't their thing. Seems like this bizarre choice since the medieval Islamic world is uh, far more urbanized and far wealthier and more involved in global trade than Western Europe was. And so it's this kind of uncomfortable, like creation of this dichotomy between East and West In a way that's really not actually even true to particularly the medieval world.
1: It seems strange that this particular portrayal would be so poorly executed when she is very into history research. Like we were talking before about the sweating sickness. Yeah. Why did you stop? (laughs)
0: Like I would have liked to see like a like an Islamic like empire. Like I would have liked to see like her version of like the caliphate. And, like, she doesn't have that. She, like, only has this, like, kind of Orientalist depiction of, like, Islamic tribes. And as I said, not that that's not something that existed, but that the portrayal of medieval Islam as just that feels very reductive in a way that I find frustrating.
1: I agree. And many Tamara Pierce fans agree as well, especially
0: these days. In Alana's time with the Bazaar, there's a lot of, uh, essentially, comparison of gender roles. And there's overall this kind of move being made to really emphasize that Tortal is uh, more free or has more opportunities afforded to women. And this A feels very Orientalist again, and also B is really not true to the realities of a. Uh, women in uh, the Islamic versus Christian worlds in the Middle Ages, where like, they're both kind of very much patriarchal societies. And there are very like limited options available for women in both. And like, I'm not sure I'd inherently say either is better.
1: Yeah, it feels very much like it's fueled by this bias that was definitely present in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. And this American depiction and presentation of cultures that were not white Christian cultures. Right. You now which is messed up and every fan of Tamara Pierce will agree and just be like yes, we also hate this and we want this to change. Right. I
0: will say similarly I also didn't love what she's doing with Serene especially because I was so I was trying to figure out what the analogy was supposed to be based on some reading that I did it seemed like it was potentially kind of linking them to Mongolia.
1: Oh, that's a possibility, yeah.
0: And that like the Khmer in particular are kind of linked to maybe being like the, I don't know, the Mongols that were more like nomadic and then the like, rest of them are like the ones that were more settled which is kind of like combining them over different times but like that's that's a different thing
1: my view of the Khmer was like they were the indigenous people of Surrey right and then yeah I have
0: no idea right but if that's then what the analogy is supposed to be then that also doesn't feel like it's coming out of the medieval past and in particular like there is this like real insistence in a lot of like fantastical portrayals of the Mongols to be like women they have it so bad there so much worse than in the west like game of thrones and the dothraki which are really uncomfortable (laughs) and especially because like arguably mongol noble women actually had more rights than european noble women there's like it certainly is still again a patriarchal society but there's like a lot of uh, emphasis on like the social importance of women in the texts that we have like about and by mongols And so I also don't love that, like, here, too, it's this, like, look at Tortal, which is, like, not perfect, but basically this, like, paradise for women in the West in comparison with these, like, vaguely Eastern places.
1: Yeah, I think there were moments where, like, us reading it now with the education that we have and the understanding that we have, looking back on this thing that was written in the 80s, (laughs) we look at it and we're just like, Alana, honey. (laughs) Because yeah. she has this moment where she's like, women can't be heirs, but we can still inherit. Like, sweetie, listen to what you're saying. <laughs> right. Like, that's not much better.
0: Right. Which is also an interesting, like, thing that she goes on because, like, that's also not true, at least, like, not everywhere in the medieval world, that there are a lot of places where, like, women can essentially be, like, feudal lords. Yeah. Anyway.
1: But, yeah, I think, I don't know, it's just something that didn't age well. And- yeah. And... I think that if it were to be tackled again in any way, Tamara Pierce specifically would want to be like, okay, so we're going to do some rewrites. Right. <laughs> we're going to change some stuff. It'll be okay. <laughs> Ooh.
0: Yeah, so those are two things that I think both like are not done well from a, like an Orientalism perspective, but also... I think that if she had, like, done research into what those cultures were actually like in the medieval past, I think she could have also potentially, like, come up with something really different.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I think it was a result of unfortunate bias and the state of mind throughout the country at the time, which is not an yeah. excuse, but does help us understand what was going on at the time that it was written.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it... It is imperfect. But I think, you know, as we'll as we'll get to when we talk about Protector of the Small, I think it's something that she's kind of figured out how to do somewhat better. And, uh,
1: you know, that she has really shown growth in that. I agree. Every single book that she writes is better than the one before it. Yeah, that is my firm belief. Yeah.
0: The next segment, the Historia ad Veritas, is where I delve into a real historical event, person, or phenomenon. And for this, I wanted to talk about medieval examples of women who, in some context, uh, uh, disguised themselves or dressed or lived as men. And I did want to make a note here that this story, I definitely, you know, because of reasons that we've already talked about in terms of, you know, Alana and her, you know, femininity... I wouldn't read this as being a trans narrative. Her choice to dress as a man feels very instrumental. And, you know, which I, there's a couple of lines here and there that are like, you have to do what, you know, you have to acknowledge your body, which like, I think could have been phrased a bit differently. Yeah,
1: that was definitely at that time, didn't, at that time, probably didn't read as being transphobic, but now definitely does.
0: Yeah. And I will say like that I very much don't think was like intentional on her part. I think she just like wasn't thinking about it. It was like the gods
1: don't make mistakes or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah. I think she probably just didn't think about it. And I will say she like very explicitly like has commented on like J.K. Rowling's transphobia and said that like trans, you know, trans men are men, trans women are women. And uh, anyway, so like she's
1: very supportive of the LGBT community.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, and this uh, so, you know, so I just wanted to kind of get that out there that like, this is not a trans narrative. That is not, I think, inherently, obviously a problem. These medieval narratives that I am bringing up, uh, there are certainly like ways that you can read these stories as being trans narratives. And I think honestly, like to some extent, because we don't have enough knowledge about the inner lives of these individuals and also some of them are fictional we don't know but that it is important and I wanted to kind of bring up that some of these are stories where we should perhaps be kind of thinking about these people as being trans men And uh, for a couple of cases, I'm actually going to use they pronouns in order to just at least try to be as respectful as possible in terms of just basically at least a neutral, a more neutral pronoun to some extent in that I don't know what pronouns they might have ultimately preferred.
1: I mean, when you don't know, it is best to just keep it neutral.
0: Yeah, so that's what I'm going to be doing. A lot of the stories that we have are not military, but actually people who were assigned female at birth, who then dressed as men in order to serve God and or not get married and then became monks. Saint Marina in the 8th century decided that they would rather be a monk than get married. And there ended up being this whole thing where, so they're a monk, and then this woman in the town gets pregnant. This, like, daughter of an innkeeper gets pregnant and just randomly picks them as the monk that they're going to (laughs) name as being the father of the child. And so Marina, rather than protest and say, I obviously, and say, like, I didn't do this, they just say, "Okay, that's fine," and raise the kid, which is obviously not their kid, and even in like get like additional penance imposed upon them and are like kind of exiled temporarily from the monastery while they're raising this child. And then only after they died, when the monks are preparing their body for burial, do they realize that, like, oh, this person obviously did not <laughs> impregnate this woman. Because they do not have the physical equipment to do so.
1: I'm just imagining <laughs> this person standing there, like, in a crowd just being like, Hoomst? <laughs> 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 I- well, okay, I guess I'm a dad now. <laughs> Come on, sport. And I just, <laughs> I just like that they're just, like, very
0: chill about it. That they're like, all right, yeah, I'm not going to call out this person for lying. I'm just going
1: to take this. Clearly, you just need a positive father figure in your life. <laughs>
0: right exactly and just like I'll raise this there kid yeah it's kind of it's really nice it really is very wholesome dad of the year I know right oh my god that is I would say probably my favorite story but there's also a saint and hermit who claimed for most of their life that they were a eunuch that they were a man who you know had been castrated and then only at their death were they like oh huh this, <laughs> this is not what I was expecting
1: did they know what that mer- word meant we shall never know
0: yeah and also a saint eugenia who was martyred and also uh, lived most of their life as a man and even got to be abbot of their monastery oh cool good for them yeah they had fun and also a little different there is also a saint named wilga fortis oh what a name who yeah right who prayed just that they would be made repulsive so that they wouldn't have to get married and then miraculously grew a beard nice
1: <laughs> i hope it was luscious
0: it seems very luscious and actually yeah, like so and like that actually like they look a lot like jesus that's what but wearing a dress
1: <laughs> that makes me happy
0: yeah there's that and there also the other example that i wanted to bring up which i thought was fun is the Ramon de ceylon which is a 13th century french romance And basically, so it's this family and they really want a boy for various reasons, including like inheritance and stuff and, you know, knightly virtues and all of that. And instead they have a girl and so they're annoyed about it. So they decide to just raise the child as if it was a boy. Like you do. Like you do. It's actually interesting in the grammar because in French, the name silence could like function as a gender neutral name. Whereas if the name was in Latin, it would be either silencius or silencia. And would therefore have inherently a gender. But the use right. of the romance actually allows it to be kind of gender neutral. And that's the name that they use. That's neat. Yeah. Most of their life, they are living as a man. And it's ultimately only gets revealed because they managed to capture Merlin. And Merlin reveals that there is this like prophecy that he could have only been captured by the trick of a woman.
1: Fucking Merlin. <laughs> Probably deserved to be caught.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. Like he, you know, and like he kind of sucks. So they clearly (laughs) must be a woman because they were able to capture him. And at that point, we do have Silence uh, changing into woman's clothing and taking on the name Silentia and marrying the king.
1: I don't know how I feel about that. Uh,
0: Yeah, I...
1: feel sad.
0: Yeah, it feels to some extent, like it's pushing this female identity on the figure that it's not clear to what extent that was something that they embraced or not. I mean, it's, all, I mean, it's obviously it's a fictional character, but it's a, it's a weird narrative yeah. that I am not entirely sure what the message is. It's clearly to some extent, kind of messing with some gender ideas, especially because like it emphasizes the fact that like they're a really good knight.
1: Yeah. I hmm. don't oh, know. It doesn't leave me feeling good that yeah. that yeah has to give up their name and their identity right. and then yeah. marries the king. It's like, well, did you want to do that? I don't know enough about right. it. If uh, they wanted to do that, then more power to you. But if it's not what they wanted, then that's just sad,
0: right? I mean, it seems like kind of maybe, but also it doesn't necessarily seem like it gets like I don't think the narrative like gets as much into their inner state about that decision as it perhaps could. I, like I don't think there's some like li- this like lengthy like clearly they're in love with the king thing, yeah, as opposed to like the king is like honoring Silence,
1: yeah, I I have to by marrying it. them so i can develop feelings about it
0: yeah so it's uh it's an interesting case that i think is yeah worth bringing up in terms of uh, these uh these kind of narratives and how they would have existed in the middle ages But they are, of course, very different from Alana. There actually aren't a lot of examples of women dressing as men for specifically military purposes. Mm. The obvious exception being Joan of Arc, who I won't get into too much detail about because I actually have another podcast episode that will uh, talk about her a lot. excited. But she did, you know, she actually was executed ultimately for cross-dressing, was like one of the big charges
1: against her. Lame. Yep. It's like getting someone on tax evasion.
0: Right. (laughs) So bad.
1: (laughs) case is so weak and there also
0: have been some. There's been some interesting scholarship on the fact that there have been uh, Viking skeletons found uh, that are uh, biologically female, but that are buried with typically male grave goods, including like weaponry. Mm-hmm. People are currently discussing like, does this represent women warriors, uh, or even also the possibility that there is some kind of understanding of people as of like people as being the these people as being like kind like a third gender potentially. That's neat. Yeah. And exciting. Yeah. Some background that I
1: don't know that
0: Tamara Pierce was necessarily drawing on in some way but probably not at the time but I think now now she would yeah I think it's interesting to think about in the context of this universe the the kinds of reasons that might lead people to make different kinds of choices that might not be what's in what's consonant with their assigned gender identity
1: yeah she has talked about Alana She has said, I don't think at the time that I wrote her, I was going for trans identity. Mm -hmm. However, I think now in this day and age, she could be defined as gender fluid. Mm -hmm. And like, if I wrote her now, that's probably what she would be. Mm -hmm. There is room to see a lot in different ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's true of a lot of these figures that, you know, especially, especially, you know, because we don't, for the ones who are real people, we don't know their interior, we don't know that much about their interior state. We, we can't say that much potentially, but, uh, that it is very possible, you know, that it certainly is kind of worth thinking about them as examples of certainly people in the past who, yeah, who were gender fluid or had, uh, you know, something of a different concept of gender. Yeah. And also that like these, like that the concept of gender fluidity is I think not actually a new one. No, it's not. And I'll and actually, the one other thing that I'll mention in the terms of this kind of like, we have this interesting like Alana sort of like code switching, at least in terms of like gendered garb or garb that is gendered by the society around her. And it is right. interesting to kind of see in a lot of kind of religious and mystical writing that you see examples of men who are basically adopting feminine language and kind of describing themselves as having this kind of maternal role. Uh, so like abbots, for example, like as mothers, uh, and Jesus sometimes described it with this like maternal imagery. Interesting. And so I think it also is interesting to think about the way in which despite the medieval world being a patriarchal society, that they also did very much. Uh, and, you know, and despite certain like things not being like normal or acceptable, that would be now in terms of sexuality or gender identity. I think it is interesting that I think they actually did have a more fluid concept of gender and how that worked than people do in, well at least let's say let's say the 20th century yeah (laughs) (laughs) so the next section is a fabula nostra in which we can talk about a film or show in or book series or something inspired by this one would you like to go first
1: I'm actually going off of what you've written here and your notes. There's actually talks to turn Alana into a series, into like an, ah, a mini series, right. like you describe here. I can't remember what studio is possibly picking it up. I think it was Lionsgate, actually. interesting. There's been no news aside from <laughs> it has been picked up. <laughs> that's it that's all we know but if Tamara pierce is involved there's probably going to be a lot of changes like we've been yeah. talking about like the bazir will be better represented like yeah. maybe there will be more queer characters maybe we'll look at alana as gender fluid instead of just a girl posing as a man yeah which would be really nice especially after like watching something like a uh, letter for the king which made me really upset at the end
0: <laughs> i have not seen that
1: Ah, uh, i will tell you about it off air <laughs> But queer representation is really important, let me tell you. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something I would really like to see in the change. I also was thinking a little bit about casting in terms of if there was to be a miniseries. I'm just going to throw out a couple of things. So obviously, I I didn't actually bother casting Alana because I actually think they should find somebody like young, like they should find somebody who can like play early teens.
1: Yeah, completely agree. It should be like Like, someone that we've never heard of.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's true for many of the characters. But the... Two people that I came up with options for are okay on this reread, especially because I'm actually in the middle of like a very slow Buffy rewatch while I'm listening to a Buffy rewatch podcast that has episodes every two weeks. Um, <laughs> so, because I'm doing that, and also because their names sound identical. I kept thinking about like the similarities between Miles and Giles as
1: father figures. That is valid. That is one hundred percent valid and a little typecasting. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Anthony Stewart but he would. Be yes, so so,
0: good. so I yes I would like Anthony Stewart Head as Miles. And actually, entertainingly enough, he actually plays like a shitty dad in in the BBC Merlin TV show. Also in Galavant. <laughs> Oh, right. okay, I haven't seen that actually. but yeah, so he plays Arthur's dad Uther and is like a bad dad. So I would like to see him go back to being a good dad.
1: Possible uh, second to Anthony Suwerhead. Nick Offerman as miles. Oh, that would be interesting. Wholesome masculinity cares about hmm. teaching people. think he would do a good job.
0: He could though. Hmm, it's interesting because I when we get to protector of the small, just this that just like, made me think I actually would be kind of curious about like Nick Offerman as like an out of the box Lord Wilden.
1: Oh, interesting. Yes, I take back what I said. Nick Offerman, to play <laughs> Lord Wilden. <laughs> My husband is nodding very like enthusiastically across the room, <laughs> he approves.
0: <laughs> My other idea that I came up with very recently is kind of want Oscar Isaac as Duke Roger.
1: I was thinking that too! <laughs> I was also thinking Oscar Isaac as Duke Roger.
0: Yeah, especially because, okay, have you seen the the, uh, the shitty Robin Hood with Russell Crowe? I don't think that I have. I can't remember if I did. So I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but the best thing about it is that it has all of these scenes which are just about like King John and his mother Eleanor of Aquitaine and just like shit that's happening at court. And like that's by far the best part of the movie, in part because they're much better cast than uh, Robin, Than like, don't get me started on Russell Crowe. <laughs> okay. um, but he as Prince, as like King John, as like a villain, but who as like this like very like kind of like sexy, petulant villain.
1: <laughs> I'm into it. Really works, I'm and I it. I would I think he would be a really good Duke Roger. I constantly call him Po Hot Dameron. So oh yeah, I'm on board. But <laughs> I would also kind of hate it. Because I know I'm like, I love right you so much how dare you it's
0: hard because I feel like I'm I feel like he has to be somebody that I actually do find likable no, like I, I feel I, like I that's how you. you make it work right is that it has to be somebody who otherwise seems likable I think it should it can't be somebody who like seems like shitty or smarmy
1: I agree with or that you would the ruin the effect <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, somebody get him on board
0: yeah exactly right just be like
1: here I have this thing for you <laughs>
0: do this Oscar Isaacs please do this if you're listening to this podcast please please make some calls
1: I'm sure you're listening to this podcast I think it was Lionsgate Oscar Isaacs (laughs) we know what we're talking about yep (laughs) between us we have like what four degrees right five maybe I don't know I have two lots I have three okay so five we have five degrees between the two of us yeah so so there's like two more in the room
0: right right actually if you count all the masters that I technically got on route to the PhD I think I have five see but we have
1: many because degrees. they're
0: just like because they're just like here's two like random masters that you technically have by virtue of like having advanced a candidacy and I'm like okay I'm not doing anything with these <laughs> but like like okay fine for my like MA and like MPhil whatever
1: academia is so weird and I hate it <laughs> I have two degrees in words and i will never be hired to do anything with them i just wanted to write better
0: <laughs> all right i mean to like i mean to like you know to like be continued like in academia and like teach students they're like these are the like five you live they're like you need five degrees it's
1: a nightmare i'm so sorry for both you and my husband who are on the same path <laughs> and it sucks it's oh. I'm, I'm going to get my my Sky Pirate lesbian novel published, and that'll be it for me.
0: <laughs> it sounds awesome. I'm here for
1: that. I, I'm hoping it will be awesome. It will also be about decolonizing museums and repatriating, repatriating artifacts to the cultures they belong to.
0: That sounds great. I really would love to hear more about that at some point.
1: I will tell you all about it later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Carmen. I appreciate your contributions. <laughs>
1: Carmen I will send you a copy
0: <laughs> and also we are recording this on the, the day How do you? How, what do you call it like the day of daylight savings time
1: yeah, like, yeah. it is technically dinner time for many cats
0: yeah so Each she believes time. that it is her dinner time and she is incorrect or well she it's almost really her dinner time but she thinks her dinner time was like an hour ago
1: poor cat poor thing. so much
0: her life is hard
1: <laughs> yes I am on board with those castings
0: The last kind of main section is the estimatio or rating, where we rate this on a scale from one to five based on whatever criteria we like. (laughs) I have no rules.
1: I'm glad to know that it was one to five because I saw your rating. I was like, oh, oh, should I be concerned? (laughs) Because I didn't know what it was out of.
0: Right. So one to five. So I'll just say what my rating is, which is a 4.5, which. If I'd rated this as a teen, it would have absolutely been a five. (laughs) I feel like as an adult, I should be responsible and take off half a point, both for uh, like basically a combined half a point for the Orientalism issues and for some stuff about Alana's relationships that has not aged super well.
1: Oh yeah, I completely agree. (laughs) I would also give it a 4.5. I think that Liam just his whole existence
0: (laughs) liam itself liam alone like loses loses half a point good job liam
1: but like also jonathan taking over as the voice alana becoming the shaman for the tribe and training the apprentices like it just it doesn't leave and she's like i'm
0: gonna bring change to your stagnant society
1: yeah whether you want is very much
0: the vibe of Alana in particular but also kind of Jonathan and as I said I find it especially frustrating because like this is not a stagnant society yeah. it is a very culturally vibrant society
1: yeah. and it's, yeah. the only thing that saves Alana yeah. in my opinion is that she does take the time to actually get to know the people that she yeah. starts to serve and she like sees that their lives are different and she starts right. to recognize that. But when she comes in, she's just very much like this is all messed up.
0: <laughs> right. And I I think Alana as a character, especially in terms of her character growth, I don't think I see okay I don't think I see the character as intentionally acting white savior-y necessarily especially as she develops and becomes more integrated into their culture
1: yeah I don't think that Alana herself is definitely trying to like save these people she is very much just trying to live her life yeah but I think fate just fucks her up and she's like right damn it but I think the structure of how she's kind of brought
0: in and how Jonathan is brought in, yeah. that structure feels sort of white saviory in a way that, you know, as we've talked about, I think she, you know, Tamara Pierce, I think, like, regrets and would
1: do differently today. Yeah, I completely agree. I would also give it
0: a 4.5. MJ, are there places where the guests can, or where the, where the listeners, whatever they're called? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the people who enjoy <laughs> us talking.
0: <laughs> Anyone who for some reason has listened to this.
1: Well, if if anybody enjoyed listening to my particular brand of nonsense, you can find me on Twitter at iHoardLibraries. I don't talk about that much, but you can get my updates on my new novel, which is codenamed Muletide Gay, and anything that comes out of the Sky Pirate Lesbian book, I'll probably post there too. As I mentioned earlier, I host three podcasts, The Circle of Friendship, Reignite, and The Rob Thomas No Not That One Robcast. All three of these shows can be found on the Certain Point of View Network, which is a podcast network full of nerdy points of view. You can find that <laughs> CertainPOV.com.
0: All right. Great. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. And I will read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Uh, now I just have Carmen clearly reading us five stars from the background. <laughs> Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join our Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah If Decker. And finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye.